beginning is a very delicate time. Know then that it is the year 10,191. In this time, the most precious substance in the universe is the spice melange. The spice extends life. The spice exists on only one planet in the entire universe. The planet is Arrakis, also known as Dune. Garbage in, garbage out. Hello, hello, all you gigalos. Welcome to Garbage In, Garbage Out. I'm your host, Kelton, and I am joined this week by my amazing co-host, Grift. How's it going, buddy? Uh, it, it's good. Uh, I apologize in advance to the audience if Kelton and I are feuding this episode because the, the Red Sox and Astros are currently going at each other's throats in the American League Championship Series. So we'll we'll, we'll see if the pod can survive this uh, conflict of interest here. Definitely. As a, as a for sure, not at all bandwagoning baseball fan, uh, <laughs> I, will, I will fight you to the death. For the honor of my garbage city, sir. Thank you so much. Um, joining us this week, though, we have just a, a packed house. We have Tony and Alexander from Minion Death Cult and Dennis from Psychic Dolphin Garage. How is it going, everyone? Hey, good. Chilling. Glad to be here. I'm, I'm, going, I'm going well. I, I took oh, a... Well, took after a, both said good, that's fucked up, dude. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I don't say that I'm doing good because that's... Now it sounds dramatically like yeah i'm sorry. sorry i forgot about that episode of 30 rock where uh tracy jordan has that amazing monologue really owning everyone for saying good <laughs> i'm only i'm only doing well because i'm suffering through a migraine and i took a three quarters of a weed gummy to see if that'll help mm, if i mm. suddenly fall asleep we'll find out like we'll perfect we'll understand why it wasn't because of the film not at all <laughs> i think my favorite thing was uh, uh two weeks ago three weeks ago i can't remember at this point uh, i had pinched the nerve uh and so uh when i went to the doctor i got uh, a prescription for muscle relaxers and that was by far and away the, mo the most fun podcast editing experience <laughs> of my life i was like Oh, we're just gonna cruise. I'm gonna start listening to music while uh, editing this podcast. Oh no, I've made a horrible, horrible mistake. Yeah, yeah. not so, a, not a great uh, idea. <laughs> no, 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 especially not good. Like while also deciding to watch the football game at the same time, it was uh, man, not not a good time. Usually, in three quarters yeah. of your your, your muscle, muscle relaxer, relaxer. That's the yeah. way to go. <laughs> yeah. uh -huh. So you have a quarter of a weed gummy just sitting there. No, I um I gave a quarter to someone. Out, like oh it was my boyfriend that's right last time he was here he took the other quarter so this is a really bad migraine so i took in my mind it's like a gummy worm and you've like cut it and <laughs> it is <laughs> like uh, it's actually a dick i just i cut it up no no bit. no no it's a it's a spice worm come on yeah. we have to oh, stay yeah. on brand oh, yeah. here yeah. okay the spice thc worm. must flow <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so this week we are talking about the 1984 film dune that fucking amazing train wreck slash masterpiece, depending on what fan base uh, and what people you ask. Uh, it, it, it's a uh, it's quite a thing. Um, and most of the time, I like to read premises up top for anyone who uh, might need a refresher before we dive into our review and then recap. But I found two 
premises this time that I feel like describe very different movies. So I'm going to read out both of them. And if y'all could tell me which one more accurately describes the film, I think that'll help uh, the audience feel like gauge as to where we're at emotionally with this. So the first one reads this 1984 film chronicles the conflict between two rival <laughs> noble families as they battle for control of the extremely harsh desert planet Arrakis, also known as Dune. Pretty succinct. There we go. It's Game mm -hmm. of Thrones, maybe. Uh, the other one we get is a duke's son leads desert warriors against the galactic emperor and his father's evil nemesis to free their desert world from the emperor's rule, which is, uh, I think, the hero's journey viewpoint of Dune. And so uh, just wondering, wh which one did y'all think more accurately sums things up? I mean, is there like a secret option C where it's like, worms of, yeah, worms oh, like it just says worms over and over yeah, just again That's... big scary worms happen on a like in like the inland empire i'm not sure <laughs> <laughs> chill chill bro hey it's mostly desert out there see i i don't understand the the california based references the actually it's actually not mostly desert it's a lot of desert and there's all the like lush forest and um other uh it's green out here too. Okay, we got we got a, a plethora of of ecosystems out here. That's great. The water of life has spread throughout <laughs> yeah. via aqueducts yeah. all throughout mm -hmm. the uh, inland empire. You got all kinds <laughs> That's good of ecosystems in the inland empire. You got bakers. You got <laughs> yep. Cocomel, you got you got Del Taco. You got Del Taco. You got uh, <laughs> Santana's. I'm sorry, Castanetas. Mm -hmm. Now, oh, it's renamed again because the family broke up again. Are you serious? I'm pretty sure. What, what I, did think, they, I think I think here there's still castanetas, but okay, I think other, elsewhere they they've become something mm -hmm. else. Because I was in San Diego recently, and they changed name again. The San Diego, there. the San Diego ones are too salty anyway. That's yeah, it's right. true. Stay away. It's true. It's because it's closer to the beach. Oh, and you, of course you can't forget the most important thing of the I.E. the salt and sea, the the water of life, as you will. Yeah, that weird Vincent D'Onofrio movie, right? <laughs> uh, that, that's what I that's what I remember it by. Uh -huh. So my opinion uh, for the the which summary is more accurate. Uh, it depends on what part of the movie you're watching, obviously. But <laughs> the, uh, the first like 15 minutes are definitely best summed up by the war of feuding houses that date back millennia and here's uh you know 15 names that you're never going to remember <laughs> yes i was gonna say it looks like a george rr R. martin footnote that someone's reading out loud mm -hmm. as voiceover so uh but yeah yeah it's, I, it's not i grew ideal. up with reading these books so i know i know what's going on i knew what was going oh man first time i watched it but i i can't imagine what it must be like to watch this movie without having that sort of background because it's just <laughs> the, it's it's the biggest fucking inf info dump i've ever seen like, in a movie. Uh, the the exposition at the beginning of the movie is like if they like took screenshots of the of the house uh, diagrams at the beginning of the Game of Thrones books and then just like yes. put them on the screen like literally just like sh just writing it out there like just just showing you like text as as the info dump. It looks imagine the opening role of Star Wars if it if it went for twenty five straight minutes. Mm -hmm. That's it's like uh, somebody's reading you the Silmarillion for fifteen. <laughs> 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 uh, uh yeah th this movie it feels weird because i it feels like so much of this movie 
is them trying to backtrack and explain what happened, like you had mentioned, Alexander, like a thousand years ago or several generations ago. And it's bizarre. No one talks like a human being. And I know that this movie had a troubled production. We can talk about that in a little bit. But the the fact that it was so chopped to pieces makes me wonder how much can I actually blame the screenwriter and director David Lynch for this versus like the film editor and whoever ends up getting final cut. Because, I mean, someone needs to answer for this movie. I, I just don't know who. <laughs> we got we to gotta hold them accountable. Well, yes. Uh, <laughs> you, you could always blame the studio. Like that, that's the go-to. They, they choke the artist's true vision. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Like what was David Lynch's true vision? Like right, exactly. more worm space dicks, more like I, weird vag mouth uh, slugs that speak with gas coming out. Come yeah, on now. I, I kind of have to agree. I didn't like about halfway through the movie. I was like, I've gotten like so much information with, with almost no information was this like whittled down? And then I look at your notes, Kelton. I was like, oh, okay. It was whittled down from a five hour movie to mm -hmm. less than half of that. I was like, I see why we're missing a lot of information. You, you know that if this movie came out today, like there would be a release the Snyder cut uh, <laughs> style campaign. Uh, that well, would what, take what, they're, what they're doing with the new one, I think the, the, the Dune movie that's coming out next week, it's going to be just the first half of this. Yeah. So the, okay. the, the, the whole the whole dueling premise thing, Kelton, it's, it's very on point because like this really should be two movies. And those two premises that you laid out there is literally like the first half and the second half. The first half, like the like the Game but of I Thrones. But I don't care about yeah. the first half. I'm yeah. sorry. Like uh, <laughs> it's it's all oh, it's no. all just set up. Yeah, yeah. It just it's almost like maybe the first movie should be the simple hero's journey plotline, and then the second movie is where you add the further intricacies and the shades of gray. Like that's like a time honored tradition or something of how trilogies work. But you know, okay. uh, maybe that's just me. I, I really like Dune. Uh, I mean, for obvious reasons, you know, it's like the perfect book to read when you're 13 or 14. And, and the entire story is about oh, what's this? A teenager realizing he's God. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, but I feel like the first half, you're totally right that it is like a split premise between uh, both. You guys are right. Uh, between the first and second half. I, I really do think the first half is is helpful because it it is like the political it's like the th theoretical political education of paul you know where he's learning mm -hmm. about um about cultures and about the ways to manipulate other cultures and the ways to control himself and uh you know both mentally emotionally physically all that sort of thing and then the second half is like the real politic of it like the actual power how the actual power comes into play um, and I, I do like both parts of it. it. It almost in the movie, it almost seems like the first half, the more quote boring part is like paced better and makes more sense. Mm -hmm. it, it, it is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Cause in the second half, when they're like over the next two years, they waged war yeah. for the spies <laughs> and it's explained like via montage of so 30 fun. seconds. I'm like, well, that's the movie I wanted right there was guerrilla warfare tactics. I want a whole desert. movie of like Thales on Paul leading like a desert space <laughs> jihad again. He becomes a god. We cannot call him a fail son. Like. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, the second that you can, you know, scream at someone 
someone so loud that that their organs explode. I no longer (laughs) consider you a fail son. I consider you an X-Man. It's the the dream of the fail son. (laughs) Yeah, he he is the uber fail son. He is the very first son of, like, you know, the the higher class to actually do something uh, and not, like, you know, trip on his dick all the way up. I want to give artistic visionaries like the the benefit of the doubt mm-hmm. but i can't help but think about how as i look at this this film's history of production issues that maybe someone should have said this would be better as a tv show or like as a tv series instead of uh just trying to make it a two-hour movie like mm-hmm. I, it feels like they were trying to work backwards instead of uh just looking at it as to how dense the thing actually was it's so funny how literally they adapt the book like mm-hmm. i i've only seen this movie i think once before a, a long time ago but one too many times <laughs> i would <laughs> um, i was like quoting along with the movie because it's verbatim from the book all of these lines that i have you know, memorized from the book are just there on screen. And it's uh, going with the info. I used to love that this movie incorporated the voiceover that's in the book, you know, the first mm-hmm. person narrative, the mm-hmm. first person narration from almost every character that's in the book, because it helps like show the political machinations of, of what each person is kind of angling for and what their game is. Um, but when you have it in this movie where you're like running short on time and you have to jump from scene to scene and from month to month, it really comes across as like a show, a, a tell don't show thing where it's like mm-hmm. I'm going through changes. I am now better than my mother. And uh, <laughs> it's it's a very odd it's it's very odd way to do a movie, especially yeah. when some of your characters are psychic and you're trying to show yeah. that these characters are psychic. And then also you're just giving the inner monologue of other characters yeah, there, that are supposed to be their own thoughts. There like, was not enough for me to like break what was internal monologue and what was them psychically talking to one another. And it really, really threw me off. That's the and there's also so, there's way too much internal monologue. Nobody is is telepathic in the book. Mm-hmm. The only people no. who are telepathic is Alia, who is such a strong uh I don't know, Reverend Mother or B'nai Jezret, she can project herself forward in time to leave a message for her brother in his own projections forward in time. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's another reference where the B'nai Jezret mother, uh, the evil one, she says, get out of my head. And that's just because they're like linked through the B'nai Jezret lineage there's no actual telepathy <laughs> and in the book and it's just so odd that they're adding that in there when it doesn't need to be in there because it like you said it just it confuses everything well they also use the same sort of like head tilt and then slight camera zoom in to to represent both <laughs> so it was really hard <laughs> like not the best edited film maybe or like you know uh that's that's not editing that's you know just like setting up the shots maybe not the best way <laughs> yeah that, that it, it did feel weird to be like all right now we need you to look like you're pondering mm. something what mm. am i pondering don't worry don't worry just stay still for about 30 seconds that's all we need yeah i wonder uh, how much direction was actually given to them when they were told like okay we're gonna do this afterwards in voiceover but don't worry about it too much just like tilt your head 45 degrees and then have like a you know, a concerned look on your face. <laughs> Is there also anything worse than if they are reading the lines to them 
while they're you know making their faces and the camera zooming then if it's david lynch shrieking out in his midwestern accent uh <laughs> the lines that exist in dune like i i could not imagine him just being like fear is the the mind killer uh, <laughs> just over and over i think it's interesting uh alexander that you mentioned how literal of a uh, adaptation of the book it is because I've, I've 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 read just the the first book in this series i know they get pretty fucking crazy after the first one um but even even like the the, the first one i remember it was just being like info dump after info dump and like inexplicable things happening like i remember being so confused when like the like his younger sister just shows up at the end and starts fucking everyone shit up and yeah. it's, that's just not explained in the book it's because she's a mary it, sue that's why yeah, yeah. Uh, uh-huh. so that, you know uh, i was perfect <laughs> i mean i consider this movie a, a success uh purely based on the fact that it show alia as like a three-year-old killing mm-hmm. men like when, <laughs> yes like, yes holding her blade up triumphantly after having killed people oh yeah that was a oh that, that was the post. best shot of the movie yeah but mm-hmm. i thought yeah <laughs> I, i'm sensing a new twitter banner pr- uh photo for the uh podcast yes, account. yes yeah. let's go <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, it, it is strange because uh, I think in a weird way, I want to agree with you, Alexander, that um, it is a success that it got made because looking back at the history of this, of course, you know, they got the rights like 20 years before this movie had come out and they had just been trying and struggling. And uh, of course, there's the the famous, um, I forget his name. Uh, director who came out and he had everything all planned out and uh, he was working with H.R. Uh, Geiger and was uh, trying to get all of the effects done and he was asking for $15 million to make a 10-hour movie and then the studio said, fuck that, fuck you, get the fuck yeah. out. And, I mean, uh, that's actually a deal for 10 hours. Yeah, yeah that, that was my thought too. <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah, I, think, they, I think at the time it might have been a lot more like HBO lot, Max lot, lot. would kill to get that sort <laughs> yeah. of production yeah, they, going. They, they, they won't let you make a 10-hour big-budget uh, uh, miniseries. This must be 1984. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the guy you're talking about is uh, uh, Alejandro. It's Alejandro. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. Oh, That's right. Yeah, he, there's a documentary about his failed production of Dune, and it's it's amazing because, yeah, he's he's kind of an insane person. Uh, and then the idea for the film was his son was going to play Paul uh, and he had trained his son for like 10 months in daily <laughs> martial arts to, to play Paul. Uh, he was going to have Salvador Dali play the emperor and Salvador beautiful. Dali only agreed to it if he would be paid like a million dollars a day. <laughs> yes. Know <laughs> uh, your worth. He's on, <laughs> he's on camera. Yodorowsky is on camera saying like, uh, I never read the book. I do not want to read the book. And people are like, why don't you want to be truthful to the book? And he said, no, as the director, my job is to rape the book. <laughs> yeah, that's well, like famous uh, quote, right? I yeah. think... Uh, I, th- I think Fame. it's like like it's well, clear feminist that Lynch- king alejandro <laughs> there we go I-, I think it's clear that like uh that lynch liked the book uh because he seemed really detailed in a lot of things that were maybe something that like little minutia that we could have gone over and not he really also hadn't on. read the book though before he uh had agreed to do this that's ridiculous so, like- to me so he just is a guy for minutia 
Yeah, he, he was like, uh, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And then read it and was like, oh, God, I got to put everything in here. That's what they hired me to do, I guess. Or uh, sorry, oh. I should have been about an octave higher. Uh, oh, yeah. In my David Lynch voice. <laughs> um, so it's interesting that you mentioned that H.R. Geiger worked on the Yudorowsky version at some point, because I was kind of getting some Geiger vibes with uh, the, uh, the oh, God, what the fuck were they called? The Harkonnens? Um, they're they're like weird like BDSM latex suits, those mm-hmm. bubble ones. I was kind of getting yeah. uh, HR Geiger vibe. Definitely not that and not, you know, Sting Speedo scene that we get uh, oh, later yeah. on. That I I have a few things to mention about the Baron <laughs> and just uh, <laughs> yeah. just a few things about uh, Lynch in the 80s in general. But oh, no, come talk. on. Everything was fine in the 80s, especially while portraying certain lifestyles, Dennis. Come on. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's like- Oh, sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, it's just like it was really weird to me that like the like the big evil guy was like, you know, full of uh sores and uh used blood to kill people. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah. was like nothing to read into there. No, nope, it, nope, nothing to fine. read into in nineteen eighty four, this being written in nineteen eighty three. Also, um like this wasn't the first time in the eighties that Lynch was like a little homophobic in his movies. Uh uh there was god i'm trying to remember the scene now or uh like uh it was in videodrome where like uh they of course they're looking at like really like uh like graphic porn that's like where people are killing but but that's cronenberg yeah oh oh, yeah that's right man my bad i'm no no getting your uh vaguely homophobic white guy directors with surprisingly (laughs) you know uh inoffensive voices like based on how they sound you know i mean uh that's it's terrifying. True. <laughs> I, I mean, I remember in the book, they the the Baron was like he was like a bisexual rapist, basically. Well, there's a little bit. They and and, and, oh, and and basically like they 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 took that and made just like every they they queer coded all of the Harkonnens <laughs> right, and wasn't m- it? made it part of their villainy. The the book was written in the the sixties, right? Like the mid sixties. Yeah. Okay, that that tracks. But I also like remember. I was like, should I read Dune? And then I was, I was looking up like recommendations, be like, should I read Dune? Cause it's a big old book series. And then someone's like, it's really like when I, I asked a friend, they're like, it's really homophobic. I was like, really? And they're like, yeah, but it's really long. And I don't remember the homophobic part. I just remember reading that part and I was like, no, I don't feel good. Like, that's exactly what you want as a sci-fi author is yeah. throw so much at the wall that then the problematic stuff that gets confused it's like a where's waldo of yeah. hidden homophobia I mean, it kind of fits in with like um like you know scientology uh was being written around like dynex was being written around this time too i guess that makes sense weird was, was copying uh, yeah. yes yeah uh, we gotta love the the uh, homophobic aliens from the 60s i love it that, that's something Star Wars didn't have the balls to do. Create in, homophobic aliens in the yeah. Return of the Jedi. The it Baron, just wasn't enough. Baron is like, uh, really interesting, the adaptation from the book. Oh, for one thing, I think that actor is probably one of the better actors in this movie, if not yes, best definitely. actor in the movie. Oh, he's going off. <laughs> yeah. Best role, probably, in in the movie. Like, cool, you get to put me in wireworks and, like, a fat suit and I spin (laughs) around. This is great. Yeah. (laughs) So they're in the book. He not only is, like, 
the book homophobic and its portrayal of him as like a pedophile, a gay pedophile. Uh, it's all, it also, he's like incredibly fat in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the suspend, the things that make him float in the air, like his jetpack, magnetics, anti-grav suspenders or whatever they are, they're just to like hold up his body while he walks around. Oh, because he has like a gravitational pull to him or something because he's just I, that fucking fat. No, I found a new goal. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so then they turned that into the movie as him being like this dramatic, like stage production theater actor who likes to float around and give monologues and yeah. <laughs> uh, spin around in circles with his arms open as he completes his dastardly plans. This is this is it feels like um like you know interpretations like different interpretations of the bible this is just a different way to interpret this character as it also explains (laughs) to us like what david lynch thought gay people were back Uh, in 1984 i mean that was just par for the course for everyone i feel unfortunately (laughs) they had red hair (laughs) they had red hair and they uh put their poisoned blood on you Yes, uh, I mean uh, that's another. I, I, I have seen gay people spin. That's a thing I've seen. That's happen. that is true though. Gay <laughs> spinning people do part. Uh, uh, gay people do be spinning. <laughs> when he uh, when he spit on her, when he spit on Jessica, I was like, holy shit! That was yeah. You like see him mm-hmm. spit on her face, like drip spit on her face. It's crazy. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. It's real her gross. name was Jessica. Can Jessica. I bring up the? F- can I bring up the fact that everyone has really fantastical names and that, you know, the main two characters are mm-hmm. Paul and Jessica. Uh-huh. Yes. Oh, yeah. Paul Herbert I, fucking sucks with names. Like <laughs> <laughs> Duncan I, Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to sound exotic on a long enough timeline. Okay. But like, like I, it's like playing D and D with like, uh, you know, like, elves and orcs with like fantastical names like Mirandalia and like Trogdor the you know the elf killer and then there's like someone named Barbara at the table yes uh-huh what does Barbara <laughs> and Barbara's do Barbara's the one you have to worry about that's yeah. the issue you know <laughs> <laughs> call her Babs yeah shout out cowgirl bebop uh, her first uh, <laughs> <film> role <laughs> um Real quick before we dive into the recap, uh, two things on the production side. I, I I'm sure every, you know everyone at least here is probably aware of, but anyone listening might not be. Um, the uh, in addition to taking like 20 years to get the movie off the ground, uh, the entire crew of people that had like 1,700 production members, they all succumbed to something called Montezuma's Revenge, oh, which no. uh, is just, you know, people <laughs> just like shitting their brains out to the point that they had to make an entire Italian restaurant uh, on set and they kept everything uh, closed circuit by flying in food and goods <laughs> and then having the chef prepare uh, all of that for them which i just thought you know that's a fun premise for a movie in and of itself is the flamboyant italian chef that needs to get 1700 pasta meals with spaghetti and meatballs where's ready. that guy's movie where's where's his documentary <laughs> the true hero of this experience are we, um, are we sure? food because <laughs> like you have to boil the water to make the pasta and like that's how you don't get Montezuma's revenge. You got to boil your water. So this is a really smart move. Um, it would yeah. be. It would. I, I would watch that. 
Mm-hmm. Are we are we sure like a disgruntled production assistant didn't like poison the soup like like during the Titanic? They, they pull shoot? a Titanic where <laughs> yeah. like everyone's on psychedelics <laughs> and PCP yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just running around. <laughs> uh, that would be great. Uh, the other thing is that uh, partially because people were just either getting sick, recovering from being sick, or actively sick, uh, the production company had a bunch of people from Conan the Barbarian that was also filming at the time uh they had people come in from that crew help out and then as that crew was getting sick those people went over there to help out as well meaning i assume that this makeshift italian restaurant had dune actors and extras on one side and conan the barbarian actors and extras on the other only making this an even better movie concept i think that uh, we can all pitch it's just people in bdsm gear just on yeah, either basically side. yeah is it future bdsm gear or bdsm gear of our forefathers you know that, that's the uh, that's <laughs> the, the issue like, it was just like, like this movie could okay. be an important tool for um you know the, the fight for the unions on the on the sets because mm. i feel like it's going to depict the, the the grueling conditions here and all the time you know going back and forth between these two productions all your friends are shitting themselves to death you can only eat italian food <laughs> That's been like shared <laughs> by David Lynch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but Where, what were you radicalized? I was I was radicalized by the by the working conditions on the Dune set. Like, I saw HR <laughs> Geiger molding meatballs that then I had to eat. Do you know what that does to a person? Yeah. <laughs> you have to make you have to make uh, workers' rights kind of sexy though. So it is perfect that they're like you know all everyone's half naked. Or completely covered, like up to the nostril. (laughs) (laughs) They're uh, wearing that the stormtrooper rejected stormtrooper outfits, or the emperor's guard, whatever it was in the third act, where it was like uh, firefighter outfits from the nineteen twenties that people had died in. (laughs) That then Stephen, not Stephen Lynch, David Lynch, uh, then. I uh, didn't tell anyone that the firefighters died in those. Yeah. And so like, yeah, that's, it's fine. That's Just a, use them. Uh-huh. Let's go ahead and save a bunch of uh, women from the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory. <laughs> uh, so the uh, the other thing I also wanted to mention is that uh, while this movie was being filmed, the actors uh, referred to this as a Star Wars for grownups style production. And then after the movie came out, it's been referred to as the anti-Star Wars in the sense of whereas George Lucas tried to make it be a relatively low bar for entry and ramp up uh, with terminology and then as also uh, plot structure this is just blunt force trauma hitting you over the head <laughs> of yep. where it, it doesn't try and make things simple um, so I ultimately you know are we uh, spice girls or are we force wielders I think is uh, what it comes down to <laughs> I think it's very funny because I mean Dune is you know a very influential book and the imagery used in Dune has been used by a lot of people including like George Lucas and it's just funny to have a movie based on a book that inspired Star Wars and probably and mm-hmm. probably had a much bigger budget than Star Wars and a better director than Star Wars look this much worse than Star Wars yep yeah, like the, yeah, just that design is great. The costuming is great. The creature design is fucking fantastic. I mean, mm-hmm. kidding, those guild navigators, the little sperm worm guys, awesome. Mm-hmm. I love those guys. But this, the green screen, the like, the splicing in disparate shots, 
together is like the worst shit you've ever seen. It looks like you're watching people ride a California adventure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it does. I, I, I do wonder how, like, were they also unimpressive at the time? Because I just don't know. But they were pretty bad. <laughs> I well, mean, I, those those uh, shield uh, computer uh, effects oh, yeah, at the those, beginning that was that was probably like groundbreaking for the time because it was like yeah, yeah, the was, Minecraft cool, duel actually. that took place earlier. You know, <laughs> yeah, um, the, the Roblox just... duel. <laughs> I honestly, I'm not going to knock that. I'm talking more about like when Paul and Jessica are inside the cave and they're looking at the giant worm that's outside the that you can yeah. see. Yeah. Oh yeah. And the worm is like blue tint and the rest of the shot is like red tint. And you're like, how did how did they not finish the scene or yeah, what? They're not color corrected afterwards, because I think everything <laughs> everything before then was blue screen, not green screen. So everything did have that blue tint. But that you, there was color correction at the time. They probably could have done something, but they might have blown the budget at that point. Imagine you're being told, like, okay, you need to color correct all of these scenes. You're also shitting yourself to death. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which yeah. one is going to take? Like, I don't know why we can't just do this in post. I don't know why I have to do this in the tent in Mexico. Fuck this thing. <laughs> uh, this is so bad. Make um, everything yellow. It's fine. Yeah. My God, uh, the the other uh, the, the last bit of trivia uh, to kind of sum up, I think you know the luck of this operation is that uh, one of the shooting locations that they chose was going to be at a dormant volcano, and they thought like, wow, this has really just the the best vibe in the world for us to be filming. Uh, that was also like a spot where people would just throw dead dog carcasses just everywhere and so uh they hadn't done their research on that beforehand and so the the day of shooting they uh, showed up and they're like why are there all of these dead dogs here what the fuck is happening where Uh, a dog like burial ground like what what happened like (laughs) burying your beloved family pet in a little like private backyard plot you just go what you just carry the carcass up like the slope of the volcano and dump it in Mount Doom. Like, yeah, except it's a dormant to... volcano. So you're like, yeah. that's what, no, that's what keeps it dormant. These are sacrifices. If they don't get the dog carcasses, <laughs> yeah. uh, how many times do you have to tell you Fluffy needed to go away so that way yeah. that lava didn't rain down on us? There's it's, like it's... one family that's been kidnapping dogs forever just to satiate <laughs> the volcano. Again, I want to. I now want to see this movie instead. I yeah. could get rid of those things <laughs> here. In my, in my so much more. It's dramatic. like the hills have eyes, kind of thing, but they're just taking dogs and sacrificing it to the volcano. But they're like mutants for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think the meatballs were made out of? Is my question. So, uh, uh, so uh, now, now I know we're we're running a little long, and uh, people are pressed for time. So I will, uh, we'll do a speed run. We'll treat this like the third act of this movie, and we'll just blindingly <laughs> go through things and skip over some very important key plot points. But um, you're not missing so- much. uh in in some basically we uh start off with virginia madsen who uh from candy man shout out to another episode uh that we had going on just give like three minutes of uh just outright voiceover including a oh and i forgot one other thing and that was when i was like fuck this movie why are you trying to be cute at this point no you did not forget that uh god um 
But then we're introduced to the world, as Alexander mentioned, of where uh, there's the House Atreides, the House Harkonnen. They're fighting each other. There's uh, a Spice Guild, uh, as well as the Empire itself. And then what? what's the pronunciation on those psychic witches, Alexander? Bene Gesserit, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that, that works for me, because I was just going to keep calling them the psychic witches the entire time. Oh, so. Calling them the uh, Benihana witches. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's too far on cultural appropriation. The other parts <laughs> that exist in this movie, those are the acceptable kinds, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> when, it's explaining, uh, when it's explaining how the guild navigators navigate through space, like when it's, quote, explaining it... Uh, it's funny because, yeah, there is like a hard sci-fi element to all of this. Like the spice uh, enhances the guild navigators. It gives them a little bit of prescience so that they can see ahead in time in order to like move the ship faster than the speed of light or navigate it rather faster than the speed of light. But that part of it is thrown by the waste. You would think they would go with that very technical description of it. But yeah. That's thrown by the wayside to show a guild navigator who is like a little sperm guy with a vagina mouth, like floating through gas and then all around him, the gas turns into like an abstraction of the universe at large. And it's like, you know, it's it's like the uh, the star child kind of, but with a weird little weird little slug guy. And he like <laughs> imagines planets around him and then beams of light connect the planets. And that's how space travel is achieved, folks. Of course. Yeah, yeah. there it is. All it's not a sex ed fever dream I experienced in seventh grade whatsoever. No, it's, it's, uh, it's like it looked cool. Like I liked the abstraction of it, but it's just like, yeah, how would you have any fucking clue as to what's going on? The answer yeah. is we didn't. So I'm so glad you explained <laughs> that because I, I was just like, all right, cool drugs. Yeah. All right. <laughs> this is cool. Um, but yeah, so the, the most important substance in this world is this thing called spice that, you know, can give people uh, some uh, basic level of powers that can enable space travel. It's the thing that the whole universe revolves around. And the emperor is uh, fearful that a coup might occur from this one house because the Duke is popular. And so he decides to send that Duke to rule over the thing that is the center of the entire universe because he doesn't want him to get more popular. So not a great plan just immediately, uh, <laughs> it, it seems like, uh, especially when the guild says, like, fine, if you're going to do that, make sure you kill the son. And he's like, I absolutely will kill the son, the son who wouldn't have gone to the spice planet in the first place, but now is there because of this other decree. Yes, I'll make sure to kill him. Uh, wouldn't you know it? Uh, things end up kind of going sideways for them. You always got to kill the sun. They never kill the sun. They always say they're going to kill the sun. No one ever kills the sun. You got to kill the sun. <laughs> it's important, you know, and, and like the justification that the emperor had of like he, the, the Duke is growing too powerful. Also, like they have a secret army with uh, 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 guns that shoot sound out these sonic weapons. And I was like, oh, well, this is Havana syndrome. Uh, right here. This is. This is. That's good. This, this, it's a valid concern, you know. Uh, I mean, you do you have States. to like mumble to yourself a little bit, but like it's okay, and then it goes for it. like it's not just a sound. You do have to vocalize it, which does make it seem like. Yeah, it really does. It it really throws you out when you're like it's like little kids going pew pew pew. Yeah, it's it, like it's like if you're uh, humming to. Um, 
past the the uh, rock band vocals, but if you can <laughs> kill people with that. <laughs> Uh, I had a friend who uh, he was asking me about uh, what I was doing this week. I explained how we were covering Dune and he described it as like a movie that was normalizing autistic behaviors with like uh, it will tell you what people are thinking and how they are feeling on screen. So you will feel okay. Also, uh, the loud random noises that you make, those are actually part of a secret weapon. You understand. We need a Kwisak Haderach who stems. <laughs> it's just uh one of those things of where you know it's interesting to find out that dune can mean so many things to so many different people because that wasn't my read at all of it this film sorry to interrupt the guns no go for it like the worst part of the movie hands down like, Be, because in the book it's different right it's a total it's, invention of the movie um guns are kind of like obsolete in the dune universe mm-hmm. because everybody has shields and so the the bullets can't penetrate a shield despite the movie clearly depicting a bullet passing through the shield to kill or at least injure Patrick Stewart. What the fuck? Uh, that doesn't happen. That shouldn't happen. But also shout yeah. out Patrick Stewart right before TNG took over. Uh, good yeah. for him ducking out. Uh. <laughs> but the gun, the like voice activated gun is such a bizarre invention of the movie because it's going off of like the voice ability that Paul has, that the Bene Gesserit have, where you can like control people with a voice, but you have to like pitch the voice based on that other person's body kinesthesiology. Like you have to understand their psychology and stuff in order to pitch a voice that perfectly like causes a reaction in them, right? <laughs> they and all mocked me for taking opera lessons. Now they will pay. They will it's, all pay. It's, it's a sci-fi version of the brown note. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they, they turned that into a gun who's like the reason it's a cooler or better gun is because you have to talk to it to make it fire like i have i have no idea why they thought this was i don't know cooler or like it's because all these big battle scenes just show a bunch of guys shooting at each other going yeah yeah and you don't even have an you can't even do an automatic fire on that not only no, that, but no. like the having to edit that, like just the sound design of that, just bunch of bunch of grown adults going like, blah, blah, blah. I would, I really would prefer to have that, you know, poison. Imagine spaghetti. you're a soldier <laughs> and you have like a sore throat that day. You're like, ah, oh, <laughs> it's not I'm good times for, for me. <laughs> I'm so the sorry. Single, single tear rolls down your eye as you roll, <laughs> as you write that letter to your wife. <laughs> <laughs> ooh ee, ooh ah ah ting ting uh, as you keep going through um, so uh, I had a question for Alex then uh, about this uh, B'nai uh, Jezerak or however it's pronounced uh, the sisterhood because uh, they control bloodlines that that's what we're told uh, and so they they are able to do for centuries this you know controlled bloodlines of going through um it feels like though what they're really doing is just being matchmakers and that then if there's still these warring houses they're just incredibly bad at their job or is like the idea that they want houses to be in a constant state of war and turmoil like uh, I, I i don't i couldn't figure that out the uh it's kind of shrouded in mystery at least in the first book like their overarching goal is politics but also like human evolution and so they send the Bene Gesserit mothers as concubines out 
to various houses to breed with, you know, members of those houses. Um, they also get like samples, quote samples of DNA from like various powerful people. And so they're yeah. trying to hit that white note. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) So that they can use, uh, you know, that person's DNA in another bloodline that they're trying to breed for abilities, mostly, um, like physical abilities, but all actually, I don't think it's in the movie. Jessica is the Baron's daughter. No, that is not in the movie whatsoever. Yeah. So that would make then Paul like the cousin, right? Of of Sting. Yeah. Or uh, his uncle. I don't. Or Sting I don't is his like grandfather. Because Sting it, is it the just, nephew of the Baron. That was yeah. But yeah. I mean, no. But we all know that like, that's just you know they're roommates and they never you know. They, yeah, they, oh, they never oh, have any girlfriends uncle. or anything. <laughs> yeah, my, uh, uncle my uncle has Baron. a roommate, and <laughs> yeah. you know they always come to the parties together. But we don't really talk about it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, just, just two confirmed bachelors. What can you yeah. say? <laughs> I mean, rent's expensive. Is that why uh, a box is considered the scariest thing to these people? <laughs> 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 but yeah, like they're able to have such mastery over their bodies. Like they do these crazy exercises where they just sit there and like flex a small muscle in their finger, t- like in one of their fingertips. Oh, in their like, finger. I thought that like this was like a yoni egg exercise or oh, something. Oh, they can do that too. Oh, okay. Got it. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that that's, I'm pretty sure that that's clarified in the book too. So that's great. <laughs> they have no hair. So, you know, the dome is incredible. All right. Uh, it's I, like rushed over, but Jessica intentionally made Paul boy like wonderful and she picked a boy even though she was supposed to have a girl right why the reverend mother is mad at her at the beginning because she made paul instead of paulina or whatever and the kiswats had a wreck because because if i remember correctly from the books like the the boys are like historically like don't inherit the powers right like they're inferior yeah, they on average, to, to to women in, in woke the feminist water. king. Yeah. There we <laughs> yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, see? yeah, feminist king Frank Herbert. <laughs> <Yeah>. Probably <laughs> also a turf, but you know, like it was in the sixties. So take the feminism that you can get, I guess, at that point. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it felt weird uh, when there is kind of the the fear is the mind killer, and Paul is doing that that test where you get to see like an actual David Lynch scene. Uh, Because I I didn't know how that worked in the PG-13 movie of watching a hand melt. You know, that that was a pretty cool uh, scene to witness. Um, But that it kind of then it being like, oh, ha ha. Actually, it was just your nerve endings. Your hand is fine. I was like, oh, well, okay, I I guess there's no. She would have really killed him if he had recoiled, though. Oh, okay. Well, that's good to know, I guess. Uh, you know, solid parenting advice. Like I'm learning new things every day. What I'll do with my kids is, uh, you know, just hold on to it. Um, so uh, also, uh, the, the other substance that it seems like that exists in this world is uh, a bug juice that makes people be able to do computer things or be able to do calculations. Um, and I'm not sure what happens, but like one, it, it's like, it's space crack. Yeah, I was gonna uh, say it's, it's like liquid Coke, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, when, this might get me to actually eat the bugs. 
<laughs> See, there you go, futuristic bugmen. Because um, you know, when when I'm watching Brad Dorf, uh just kind of whizzing all around and then muttering something to himself over and over again, I'm like, oh, okay. And then it's like the calculations are complete or whatever it said afterwards. I just thought, like, uh, okay, so there's this other substance that is needed. Our uh, our computers not a thing because i didn't remember seeing computers and so yeah. there they, um there's actually uh, a passage in the orange county bible that says thou shalt not make a computer in the image of a man's mind because there was like <laughs> uh, a giant war slash genocide uh with the machines like a uh, two thousand years ago where ai almost dominated the planet so they had to or the universe so they there's it's uh but Larry and Jihad, I think is the name of, of that event. And yeah, yeah. Now, like they're not allowed to do artificial intelligence anymore. Uh, so they train humans to be computers. I don't know what the juice is. That's like <laughs> for the movie. It's so fucking funny the way they add like, this like random like liberal it, shit. Like, oh, here's it, juice that makes me smart. Yep. It's the 80s. So they had to make some sort of mention of cocaine. Because yeah. I mean... <laughs> Like, it's like, future Adderall, I guess, is what it is. Really, because we see we see Raban like crush the bug in the in the little like hydraulic press juice box, oh, cool. and then we see like the Baron take like a shower in it. I think that was that the same stuff. Like right right before like ripping the heart plug out of like that that red boy that they bring in basically. Yeah. Like before deflowering the flower boy. Yeah, yeah I, I picked up yeah, on the metaphor. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, okay. I'm glad to know that I, I didn't somehow like have a stroke and miss an important five minutes <laughs> of the movie somehow uh, as, as things were going along. That bug uh, is very like can't Star Wars Cantina, like where he actually has a little container that crushes the bug and it's yeah. built into. That was so <laughs> fucking cool. I loved that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that rocked. Uh, I, I mean, and that I guess kind of you know. Um, is something that also gets carried through because I want to talk about like the, the worms, you know, that, cause I think the, if I had a guess, I'm going to imagine that the worms in this upcoming Dune movie are probably going to be like a third act reveal, even though that appeared in the trailer. Uh, if I had to guess um, that, that we're not going to see too much of them. Uh, but the worms here, you know, we see a, a fair amount of them and they're like this giant, what is it? They're 450 meters, so they're like a mile long, or you know, half a mile long rather. Uh, worms that are just uh, out there doing their thing, and it's objectively horrifying to me uh, to to see. But um, they're also the things that create the water of life on this planet with their bile, uh, which I didn't know if bile was code for something else, uh, if it was like stomach acid or. If it was like uh, urine or whatever, but no, you know, I think uh, it's calm. I think it's like actually in the books, right? It's their calm, like right. <laughs> Alex, you you need to confirm this uh, for us uh, on this. Do you want We're, the answer or the <laughs> the real one? <laughs> Both, please. <laughs> it's actually kind of cool. The way you get the water of life in the uh, in the book is you you kill a worm, you drown a baby worm, like a small one. <laughs> You drown a baby <laughs> worm and then it like the solution that it is vomiting up as it chokes and drowns to death. That's the water of life. 
pay this. Hell yeah, <laughs> I guess. I you, get like, super, you get super suddenly, high. It's you meet you meet the machine elves if you drink that shit. <laughs> 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 suddenly that dead dog volcano doesn't seem like the darkest thing that we're talking about uh, on this episode. Um so uh yeah, I, I the other big thing of course is uh people keep repeating the sleeper has awoken which I think is fun because now we uh, we will probably just say the, the uh, he has gotten woke now uh, uh-huh. is, is just repeating that's what that. they would say now. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Those crazy kids, uh, and then also where uh, the Duke is informed by good old Captain Idaho uh, that the Fremen are actually uh, not that bad. They're not these barbaric savages. There, there's actually a lot of them, and they're really <laughs> cool. And uh, you know, they, they could be really great allies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want to mention completely unrelated note. Uh, in 1984, that was the year that Osama bin Laden became involved with an organization ba- based in Pakistan that helped fight Soviet forces in Afghanistan. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know good times yeah, good times we need, we need a like a politically relevant uh uh dune adaptation where like paul is like saddam hussein's son and he's like <laughs> blowing up oil fields while like retreating from the jihad in kuwait or something <laughs> <laughs> that could be a movie you know uh, I, I was thinking more like the idea of well if this is a metaphor for the middle east what would dune's version of venezuela be uh how can we make that <laughs> yeah. the, the proper boogeyman i suppose i gotta say the fremen uh they because uh paul eventually gets like 15 uh like bodyguards basically they were all hot they were like mm-hmm. just these like like fit looking uh like 30 year old bearded dudes just in SNL. Paul, Paul has a type, you know. Uh-huh. Like, I was like, uh, he wants these like he wants these muscly boys in these tight, tight suits. I get it. I understand. <laughs> he 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 knows how to wear the suit desert style, naturally. Yeah. Yeah. It's because there's there's not really you'd think there's a more obvious telling thing that we should be able to see from there, but there really wasn't. Nope. Like, there no, was no was... like thing that was obvious. Like it just oh well just you dialogue did it. You just gotta understand yeah. what it is. Well that's mm-hmm. the they are so literal to the book because that's mm-hmm. in the book, right? Mm-hmm. Is that yeah. he notices Paul is wearing it like the cool way. He's wearing <laughs> <Yeah>. oh shit, <laughs> I'm you down. Fuck. You're wearing the still suit the, the cool way, you know? Um, but it's done so fast and it's done so like rapid pace like we got to get through this part we got to get through this part i i honestly have no idea how you like you guys watched this without reading the book beforehand another instance <laughs> of that is like them saying paul saying oh just walk in a non-rhythmic motion in the and the worms <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and that's yeah. the book like that oh, is part of the book. But there's like a chapter or like half a chapter of them having to like stagger and stumble awkwardly through the sand to get to the other side of a rock you know what i mean to like reach safe and in the book and in the movie they're just walking after <laughs> yeah. walking in a rhythmic manner and then they walk across at a pace you could set your watch to yeah, it's a uh-huh. bunch of white guys. Of course, they're going to walk arrhythmically. So, <laughs> normal. That that rig completely true to form for me. Um, uh, <laughs> no, no issue with that particular section. Um, so, uh, I, I, 
then we get to, of course, where uh, the the Harkonnens attack, and so then um, the, the Atreides' house is overwhelmed because uh, the shields are down. Those goddamn shields every single time, uh, because the uh, the doctor was uh, a mole or he was a traitor. Uh, it seemed very weird that like one of the three people who mentored Paul ends up being the traitor. Uh, there's no like sense of emotional betrayal. It was a lot of like, ah, do what you got to do, you bastard. Uh, and then they, they kind of moved on with the scene. Um, so anyway, the Duke has like a poison capsule in his, his mouth and he uh, tries to spit it at the Baron. He fails, of course, because uh, I don't know why it's a poison that like you have to like try and spit like a viper onto the guy. There's a lot of like spit based attacks in Dune. <laughs> I'm not sure how accurate it is. A lot is. of fluids, a lot of fluids throughout. Yeah. yeah. Like, why couldn't you just have like a bomb be in your tooth? That way, then like someone didn't have to get close to you. I, like, is there any explanation? No one ever said that. No said the doctor was like you know a military tactician you know he just knows poison bad that that's it <laughs> uh, poison tooth is sick poison tooth is, is tight like i mean it's just kind of you know the old school cyanide pill like you're you're gonna take someone out with you mm-hmm. type mentality i like that yeah, i think it, that the poison tooth is hard bodied and the it looked like he ate like too many pixie sticks too fast though and just like coughed them up. I've never seen poison. No, he looked like uh what was it? Snorlax? Uh not Snorlax. Uh what what's the name of the purple poison Pokemon? Jesus coughing. Christ. The, yeah, there we go. That one. That's what he, <laughs> he looked, looked like. Yeah, he looked like he looked yeah. like a coughing. He looked the, like one of the witches in that movie, The Witches. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when they're like I melting, shoot gas everywhere. It was so. Yeah, yeah no, it's actually because uh, the tooth has uh, the the gas capsule inside is shaped like a, the root of a tooth, so it would avoid it would pass scrutiny. And I don't know if you could develop an explosive that looked like the root of a tooth, you know, because they go over them with all these wands and shit. Oh, okay, okay, I mean, they could try. They could have tried. Yeah. Oh, no, I've been found out. Quick, let me put in my shin bomb. All right, there we go. Taking everyone out. <laughs> and like, Congratulations. I, I think historically, like, that's like like the, the cyanide capsule, like, hidden in your mouth is like a way for, like, you know, like a like an anarchist terrorist in, like, the late 1800s, yeah. early 1900s would, like, commit suicide after blowing up an embassy or something. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I was going to say that there was, like, historical precedent to being, like, tooth weapon. Yeah, <laughs> it's not to not to backtrack too far, but we were talking about the like you know correlation between oil and the mi- Middle East or whatever. I did yeah. like how uh, um, the Space Guild, which is like basically the exporters of spice, you know, the exporters or the the people, you know, most in control of the spice or whatever, were just giving the emperor orders. Like yeah, yeah, emperor yeah. of the of the universe or whatever, and the spice guild is like, sh- shut the fuck up. This is yep. what you're gonna do. I was like, yeah, that's cool. It that's- would have been really great if one of the worm slug people was like the vice emperor, you know, and was <laughs> uh, really, you know, laying laying it on real thick about what should happen. Uh, uh, to to I, although that would have been what 15 years before it happened. Way too yeah. prescient. I think. <laughs> uh, Going to need to uh, drink some water of life in order to have that vision be accurate. But uh, 
needless to say, um, Paul and his mom, they escape. Uh, they manage to join up with a group of Fremen, which, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, who are friendly to them after finding out, like, oh, they're valuable, which is like, okay, cool, I guess. And so to steal that line from uh, a Britannic sketch, they decide to fight with the Native American metaphor against the American military metaphor. And, you know, uh, <laughs> it, it was a great uh, thing because he ends up emerging as this character or as he gets a new name, right? Uh, he's no longer Paul Atreides. He's <laughs> Paul Maudib. Ma- Maudib. Muadib. Muadib. I, yeah. I don't know. I'm saying it as whitely as possible, so that way then it's not me trying it's to not- add like a, a bullshit accent onto something uh, <laughs> that I'm not sure about. Because um, uh, for the rest of this, I'm going to refer to him as Space Jesus, which is uh, well, what, what role? He's more like Space Muhammad. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, uh, well, hmm. Uh, okay. Yeah. No, that's accurate. Accurate. He's, Fair he's point. Space Muhammad Atta. <laughs> <laughs> and um, one thing I knew, again, from, from my discussion with my friend, uh, that he, he wanted me to mention, and Alex, it sounds like you know uh, all about this, is that uh, the, the psychic witches, uh, whereas in the movie, he becomes like this legitimate space muhammad uh with all of these powers whereas uh at least in the book it seems like the psychic witches have spread out like a very generic messiah lore throughout the entire universe to where basically if anyone crash lands or is in a hard spot you can kind of fit enough of the uh the tropes of the messiah to then convince someone that you are the second coming uh, it's really uh, it's really cool because yeah that is like the political part of the book uh is they they go they go to the fremen and then they Jessica is like Jessica's depicted so poorly in this movie she's like the one who taught Paul how to fight she's like the one who teaches mm-hmm. him all the little muscle exercises so that he can like perfectly control his body and become like a living weapon or whatever and in the movie she's just depicted as like a, a screaming damsel in distress at the idea of her husband being dead uh, which is pretty unfortunate but the first part of them with the Fremen is her like picking up on how that what you're talking about the the prophecy that has been seeded deliberately sewn into communities across the universe by the Bene Gesserit as like a parachute for if a Bene Gesserit lands there they can basically pretend to be part of a prophecy and the local people will take care of them and exalt them so she has to like hear and feel out how that prophecy how that myth has evolved over the generations and what form it's taken. And so she has to like figure out what words to use. And that's a thousand times cooler. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but like that's a thousand times cooler. It's very cool. And so the first part of her and Paul is Paul is actually going through this change. He's ingested a lot of this spice. He is the product of this, like, you know, lineage that's been cultivated physically, you know, for all these years. And he has this spice that's making him change and it's given him prescience and it's given him heightened awareness and all this sort of thing. And so he is also tapping into this Messiah myth or whatever, but kind of for real. He's like seeing it. You know, he's doing like the beautiful mind thing and seeing how everything works in this society. 
and the mother has qualms that he's buying his own bullshit too much and mm-hmm. that he's like succumbing to the myth or whatever until he actually does drink the water of life and survives because that's like proves that he is God essentially. He's able to do that. Yeah. And, and uh, that, that I think is also just uh, a fantastic uh, emotional bit of resonance about why the mom would care so much about the son drinking the water of life and have so many issues with that would be like, Oh God, he, he's a true believer. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. Uh, things have gone too far, but no, of course we don't get that. Uh, he's good in job. David Lynch. In the book, he's in a coma for like four, like almost a month because he drank the water of life. Uh, so you're saying it wasn't one weird, like uh pink Floyd music video sequence. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it, well. They just come and they think he's dead. Like, Mm-hmm. But she has, she can detect a, a very faint signs of life, and she deduces that he actually attempted to change the water of life and and uh, keeps them from processing his body, which is the thing that the Fremen do when somebody dies. They reclaim the water, which mm-hmm. means they take all the moisture out of your body and like like cut the flesh away and shit and divide Yum. your water among the tribe. She prevents them from doing that, and then he re- he finally you know uh, returns from whatever the waking death he was in. So that is a little bit more like Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so back to space Jesus then. All right, <laughs> oh. cool deal. Um, well, space <laughs> Jesus is back, and now he's a worm writer now. Uh, that, that's like his, his cool sidekick happens to be this mile-long behemoth leviathan creature that can uh, go through all around, um, which I, I, I thought was actually kind of cool was yeah watching everyone riding these giant things and uh kind of going all around i didn't think it was good but you know like my inner 13 year old brain was like mm-hmm. yeah all right i could get, get on board with this visual at least it's very uh, it's very like never ending story falcor sort of oh <laughs> uh, that, you know what that's probably exactly yeah. like where it was <laughs> now that i think about it <laughs> oh god dennis oh you've cracked a code in my brain it hurts <laughs> they take the moment though where he has to like tame the worm you know he has to like hook on it you know ride it and like yeah he has really to figure it out but then for a second but then it's like that's just just how we do it now it's a now prince albert i think is what it's called yeah yeah now um, we got the whole squad on top of the worm riding the worm yeah he puts those hooks through the worm's nipples on uh-huh. its head. So cool. yeah yeah <laughs> hmm God, uh, I love it, that shot where it's just like the wall of worm, and then there's just the tiny little Paul just hanging onto the side, <laughs> riding along. <laughs> uh, me and who? Question mark. Six, <laughs> <sweet. Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then, of course, uh, uh, the emperor is arriving on Arrakis, and so Paul is defi- deciding to launch an attack. I skipped over again the two years of, of strife that took place because the uh, the movie did too. I hope that the book, that's at least like a fourth of the book or something, uh, them waging uh, warfare. Because, you know, I would I, like as bad a movie as The Patriot is with Mel Gibson, like the idea of Paul being like a Swamp Fox style space tactics to, to disrupt spice supply lines seems interesting to me. And I would have liked to see that. So the fact that we didn't makes me sad. But, you know, it's okay. We can focus on the fact that they call what Paul is doing a jihad. And I wonder if Denis Villeneuve will have the balls 
to call it a jihad as well. What what do we think the odds are on this? Because I noticed they say in the yeah they said crusade in the preview. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so I, I wonder if it's going to be like a, they use it interchangeably, so that way then you know it's not uh, as stigmatized possibly by the audience, but uh, or whether or not you know HBO said like listen uh, we can't have you do this we gave you 150 million dollars to make dune again you're gonna have to cave on this one word with us yeah i feel like going back and forth through crusade and jihad sounds like sounds like the uh you know boardroom meeting being like well this is the best way we could do it both words not holding a lot of good uh behind them yeah. historically <laughs> so i think they're like well we're just either everyone's gonna be okay with it or everyone will be upset it's fine the check yeah. the, the, already written. the oh. one guy was like listen <laughs> we'll avoid controversy by casting no arab actors whatsoever for the dune <laughs> remake okay i mean like if they actually like follow through on what the 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 books extrapolate as to like the uh, effects of the of the jihad, it would come back to like bite that definition because like, well, like they don't don't the later books like compare him favorably to like Hitler because he killed way more people. Yeah, um, and then he, yeah, like he, he what is what is Laban's work. realm but a but a version of a jihad? Like Jesus <laughs> Christ! Oh, <boy. laughs> so hold on, I, I need to pump the brakes a little bit. Uh, uh, Alexander, please, please explain for us the protagonist in this story that we're rooting for. This plucky upstart becomes space Hitler. Jesus, is that the case? Uh, yeah, but but like Griff said, it's uh dwarfs Hitler. Like he like billions. He he he's a mass murderer cool. on the scale of billions. Cool. Uh, but but he did it Loving for non eugenics reasons, right? Mm. It wasn't because he was like, I looked into the future and I saw that they would cause pain, so I killed them before they could cause pain. Well, the the second half of the book, when he realizes he is like God, um, the Fremen become like his worshippers. They become his acolytes, his devout, like the people, the, the hot dudes that you were saying that are, that are mm-hmm. his bodyguards, those are his like death commandos. And cool. by the way, that's, uh, that's exactly what every minion death commando does look like. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> those, those Fremen suits made by Hugo Boss. <laughs> if, you, if you know this. But he just like, he knows that it's going to happen because he can see the future. So he can just see like his religion, like the religion of him is going to cause like billions of, of murders in the future. And they really. Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, cool. Sounds good. I'm you know down. what? No more white guy gods. Okay. We can, we can get <laughs> like, rid of that, this. That just, that was just like, that was really a big thing about sci-fi uh, during the 60s, like maybe until about the 80s, was just like, we got to find the perfect human. They have to be perfect. <laughs> this has nothing to do with eugenics that we just like fought wars over a few years ago. Nothing. Yeah, Paul Paul purged all his thetans so he could uh, <laughs> ascend to the status. <laughs> well, of course, that's what makes them perfect. Is that, yeah, they happen to be like immaculate white men, but they don't subscribe to like racism. Uh-huh. So they're like still. That's what that's what makes them perfect. Yeah, they do get a lot of blue eyes of though. That. Eventually, was well, yeah, that's the perfect guy. Oh, God. The, the, the Fremen are all blue-eyed white men. 
Like, it's, <laughs> when they're clearly like, so, like, and I, I imagine they'll portray them more like this in the new one because you have like Zendaya as the as his main, um, you know, female cohort. But like, they're supposed to be like in like indigenous like Arab nomads. Like, like, like Zendaya, definitely. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, we're okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> a little fast and loose with the skin tones, but yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's space, yeah. so yeah. yeah. The yeah. space color swab said that Zendaya yeah, and uh, what what what's, what's it? Dave Batista fit the bill for whatever reason. Gee, I wonder why. Um, yeah. It's the color palette, not the actual race. I think yeah, is how yeah. it works here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, needless to say, Paul, he, he leads like the, this big revolution. Uh, Paul's sister, uh, it, as Alexander mentioned, <laughs> kills the Baron. He flies out of an airlock uh, uh, hole that, that exists. You know, they love doing that in the 80s in space. And then the movie almost grinds to a halt. So that way then Paul and Sting can get into a knife fight. And I was like, Oh, this is from Chronicles of Riddick. Like that's, that's what I was like. I didn't realize that Riddick was stealing this scene from this movie. Oh, Oh, yeah. You thought it was a completely original movie. Like I thought it was, I thought Riddick was a completely like nothing. No, no clues Mm -hmm. from anywhere else. Just the 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 pure rawness of the original content that is Riddick. Yeah, it, it, Riddick from is uh, Vin Diesel's brain. His D and D campaign yeah. specifically. Uh-huh. Uh, from yeah, his D&D. brain to your heart. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, when you're when you're uh, what God, I don't even know what age on a Boy Scout camping trip, and you watch Chronicles of Riddick uh, on on the ride there. Uh, it's a life changing experience. You're just like ah. Uh, Carl Urban, he's fantastic. I don't know. For me personally, I think I'm probably speaking for a lot of Dune fans when I say the most disappointing part of this movie is the the combat, like yeah. the guns. The gun. I can't get over the gun invention because so bad. the whole point of Paul like joining the Fremen is that he has this like otherworldly mastery of martial arts and you know f- physicality and all of this shit. Like when they meet the Fremen they do disarm them immediately, but the Fremen are like amazing fighters who rival the Harkonnens. Like they can take out Harkonnens without any gear or anything like that, but they best the Fremen because they're, you know, she's a B'nai Gesserit witch. She has this like, you know, eons of training behind her. But in the movie it's depicted, she like bumps into Stilgar and grabs him. And he's like, my God, you have the weirding way. And it's like, <laughs> the weirding <laughs> like, what are you talking, what are you talking about? Yeah. It's, uh, that's the space way of saying queer coded. Yeah. If you have the weirding way, I think is. Uh... And so when you, when you see all these battle scenes, it's just like stationary guys going pew, 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 you know, with their guns or whatever. And then when you get to the knife fight, when you get to where they have to actually depict combat, it's like a it's like a lightsaber duel with a with a dagger, like they're like <laughs> it really is and, and a little and a little hip knife. Remember, there's got Sting's yeah. got a oh, little the hip poison knife. the poison hook. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> like it's like just, they were uh, two roosters cockfighting. Where <laughs> just, yeah, it's just uh, embarrassing to be like I'm I'm God. I'm like a literal manifestation of God on Earth, and this is how I fight. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like why didn't he use his like little voice powers to just be like sting stab yourself? Like a yeah. uh, <laughs> like, little bit of yeah. plot hole there. 
It, no, there was principle there. There was like a, you know, there was there was like a. It's an engagement. It's it's you have to respect it. Respect the battle, the combat. Yeah, I mean, the, I, the trial by combat. Yeah, that's the reason <laughs> the book is that he yeah. could use the voice to overpower him, but he wants to do it the real way. And the way yeah. they make up for the how overpowered Paul is is that Sting's character Fade Routha has a needle. It's not a knife. It's like a needle at his hip with a poison, with a paralysis mm-hmm. poison. And so if he scratched Paul with it, Paul would like paralyze. He would go go par- paralyzed and then Fade Routha would be able to kill him and it would appear. So Paul has to like lead on the other side the whole time during the fight to avoid the needle. Oh, like he has to like fight Southpaw or something basically. Yeah. Hi, but it's still, it's like, dude, you're, you're fucking God, well, man. When yeah. you, you can see the future, what are you talking yeah. about? I don't, yeah, I don't see, like, that. that's just the most difficult way to get through something, like, you know. Some people I, I just like want to all take of the hard us way to through. think, though, what if David Lynch was like, you know what, fine, we will make it be martial arts. We get to watch a David Lynch-filmed <laughs> kung fu in the desert movie. That <laughs> feels like that would be even more surreal yeah. than anything else of... Uh, uh, it, it, the combat was just really bad too. Like, because he, like, he's never been an action director, which no. I think, like, you need at least if you're not an action director, like a solid second unit team. Well, and we were can, like, this this film was coming like hot off the heels of like kung fu movies being huge, so you would think like audiences were aware that combat could be good in movies. I'll do a little bit of pushback on that. Cause like uh, real audiences, maybe, but like uh, American audiences as the whole, like we had no idea that like f- it could be that fluid of well, a fighting style. I don't know. Cause I think- my, my dad was telling me about all the Kung Fu movies that he would watch as a kid in the seventies. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, I, I think maybe, Maybe the kids would have been a little less impressed than the adults. Who are like, "Wow, bravo!" <laughs> uh, I, I was just trying to think about like what like the Bond fight scenes were like. Oh, those uh, were pretty bad too. If yeah, I they were pretty like, fucking cheesy. Like, yeah, you know, you know like, like just some stiff chops. Yeah, it, 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 again, you know, I, the Matrix. Thank God for it because it, it just mm-hmm. let people know uh, you, you could, could do some things. You uh, could do on, it all in post. Yeah, exactly. Best combat. The best combat scene in this movie is when Patrick Stewart is running into battle with a pug stuffed down his shirt. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that rock. I was like, fuck yeah. All right. He's he's holding a weird square gun, but he does have like a pug stuffed down his blousey shirt and a skullet. <laughs> the animal props were really good are really great throughout this movie. Oh, like the like the the cat, the, the, like the, the, the white cat. cat they have yeah. a yeah. the sphinx cat with a with a rat ace bandaged to it. Like, <laughs> like that made me that made me so uncomfortable. I That's was like, an invention of the movie. That's not in uh-huh. the book. <laughs> oh, they don't have cat rats in the book. Yeah, uh, during the credits, it actually says uh, several animals were harmed in the making of this production. <laughs> Namely, that cat, just that cat, uh, over and over. There um, are a couple times in this in this movie where I am like, did I read this book? And that was one of them. When I was like, what? I don't remember having to like milk a cat. 
The cat was to be milked, like to make some sort of. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I would remember that from the movie, to, from the book. But yeah, that's like that's you like said, pervert. That's perverted enough to They just remember. added for no reason. They just added it for like it didn't help anything. It's just like gay people are weird. Like let's make them do weird gay things, like no. milking cats. <laughs> Finally yeah. unlocking that secret culture. Uh, what <laughs> what uh, color handkerchief is that? Uh, <laughs> what, color, what color handkerchief is cat milk? <laughs> Slippery slope. Hey, what, what, you you yeah, allow what, one, one hard... eventually wind yeah. up with cat milking. <laughs> <laughs> the hardest part about milking a cat is telling your parents you're gay. Yeah. <laughs> uh well that uh that then you know uh Paul he he wins of course uh and then he explodes uh Sting's organs by using his magic words which why did he do that in the first place whatever uh that that would have been almost like a, a sense of humor coming from the the film if there was like a big lead up to the final showdown and then Paul just exploded Sting right off the bat and then that yeah, was yeah, it. Yeah, it would have been like Indiana Jones shooting the big guy with a huge sword in the face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but oh well. Uh, so future space Hitler Jesus uh, his name just keeps getting longer. Uh, of He just then is able to uh, step outside and then it finally rains over Arrakis because uh, yay I guess uh, uh, please I mean, tell I me could... that at least was in the book the rain oh, no that's no no it's yeah funky. it's so he's just like okay now that I'm emperor uh dune can have water and he makes it rain on a planet <laughs> before. it's it's so stupid like okay a huge part of dune is uh planetology it's this invention of the study of like ecosystems of entire planets and like the planetology of Dune is much discussed. Like Kynes, the guy who's the the envoy to the Fremen, who's the who first uh what's his name? The British actor. Uh anyway, um he is a planetologist in the book. And so he's giving like information about the planet dune and how you could actually transform it into a more habitable planet that would the fremen would have to stop living so scarcely and in in such hiding because you could actually using these methods seed plant life throughout the planet and where eventually it could create a temper a more temperate climate that would produce rain that's yeah. the overarching goal of the fremen that's like their religious goal before paul comes into the picture and then paul comes and says i'm going to help you guys do this we're going to take power and eventually do this he doesn't like say the the raining word and make it rain <laughs> <laughs> Say yeah. the R word. Do it, Paul. Do it. That makes it sound like the Fremen are like Elon Musk stands, like, uh, like, like thinking we can terraform Mars. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, it does. I don't know. I really resonated with that final scene, though, because uh, that's literally just what it's like living in SoCal. Once it rains, people are just like, ah, we can have water. It's perfect. Nice. Now time for genocide. Yep. Uh, excellent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it's what goes on. Um, boy. So we, we now get to the, the final section here, y'all of where we get to talk about whether or not this movie 
was garbage or not. Uh, and I, I think we all know where we stand, but just for the record books here, uh, Tony, take it away. Is this movie garbage? So, no, I, I think this movie's not entirely garbage. Um, okay. I think it's like still kind of like something to put on. It, it felt nostalgic watching it. Um, I think it's definitely a victim of time, both when it was made and the time constraints in this book, because they really sped things up like really wild, really fast. Um, and it, it, it's not the worst thing ever, um, but it's, you know, I'm definitely not going to like die on that hill. No way. <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes more than enough sense. How dare you take like a reasonable gauged response to this sort of thing? Um, like, I still, I still enjoy, I still like had fun watching it. I was also very high. Um, which oh, kind of okay. like the right well, thing. bias, bias. That's grinning yeah. on a curve. So I still on, like enjoyed, enjoyed it even for like the things that were painful, um, like how most of the movies whispered. Um, the like, ASMR quality that existed that, in that this movie. That became like Just... funny at some point and kind of like endearing. Um, but so, yeah, it's not complete garbage. I think it gets too much hate. I see. I see. And uh, what about you, Alex? I really hope he likes this I think movie. This movie, I right? Know what? <laughs> I, I think it's, I think it's uh, a really interesting watch. It's entertaining for the most part. Um, the stuff that will like slide over your brain is usually accompanied by pretty interesting visuals. Uh, Mm -hmm. those first 15 minutes that we're talking about of the info dump does have like a hot lady superimposed over the galaxy and it's showing like a bunch of, you know, cool, uh, images and shit like that. Um, the props and set design are so fucking cool and interesting. And yeah, all the bizarre choices, like making the villain like speed around in circles around a shower in the middle of the room, go take an oil bath, you know, uh, and put plugs in all of his slaves so that he can just pull a plug and kill you. Um, (laughs) It's like, it's, it's so the, the middle part of the movie where Paul is like, where they're trying to convey Paul going through the change by him with the Fremen is the most boring part. Um, but other than that, I think this is a absolute seeing is believing. There was never a movie like this before this. There will never be a movie like this again. Mm-hmm. Definitely worth a watch if any of this sounded interesting. Certainly. I, I think that's a, a strong case to be made for it. Dennis, what about you? I'm going to disagree with uh, my two friends here. The movie's garbage, but there's it did pique my interest enough to be like, you know what? Maybe I'll go ahead and read these books because I feel like I missed out on a lot of stuff. It's like it's like, again, like if you were playing D&D and you decided to come in halfway through the campaign and they just told you everything like in like like a post-it note, like what was going on. Um, I was like, all right, I guess I'm in this. Um, it, it, It really like like I said, it 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 sounded interesting. So I think I might want to. uh uh, to read the books and uh, maybe pick and pull a few little things for any future D and D campaigns, but oh uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll I'll be the new Vin Diesel, <laughs> 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 but uh, you know, I I don't recommend watching this movie. It's it's too long. It's way too long. It was maybe about a half four 
three quarters of an hour shorter. It'd be a little bit I mean, better. many people would argue it's about two and a half hours too short. <laughs> uh, that's what was about what was cut from it. So I don't know. Consider that. Maybe if it you, was you, pure, you covered pure 53 visual. main characters in that short period of time. Okay. <laughs> if it was if it was just visuals, then maybe because those okay. were actually really cool. I like it. I like it. Uh, a bad movie, but inspiring you to look at the books is uh, both a damning indictment of the film, but and also probably a, a, a good thing that I'm sure Dune fans are more than happy if that's your takeaway instead. Uh, <laughs> Griff, what about you? Uh, I mean, I'm of two minds. I think everybody's pretty much said everything already. Like it's, I mean, by any objective um standard like the the action the exposition dumps the pacing the the acting like all of it is 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 garbage but like they did swing for the fences with the visuals and you know like having read having read the book like it was interesting to see how they interpreted it on screen and they and they 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 did do some like interesting things with the way they portrayed the world so uh if, if i if i were to recommend uh watching this thing definitely take a lot of spice beforehand <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and by that you mean the gas station weed Yes. 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 <laughs> yeah. The hillbilly heroin itself, indeed. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Griff, I, I feel very similarly about it uh, because um, as much as I love looking at the set design and um, looking at the visuals and just the experience of it, because it does kind of feel like a dream almost and, and have that that. Uh, quality to it i think if you look at it as like a a franchise starter of a thing that well will it make you want to see this same creative team make a sequel uh, i mean the answer is no like in in that sense uh, as a franchise starter like it exploded like a challenger you know it it just did not seem to to get off the ground even that successfully um mostly because of again the 15 minutes of voiceover in the first 17 minutes you know it's so steep of where um it is something where i am though very curious to see what they do in this in this sequel you know of where if they are truly splitting it up maybe it will work or maybe we'll go like okay i i guess this is something that you just can't adapt uh mm-hmm. not not well so get get ready for the uh, arrakis hbo max animated series where everyone gets like real <laughs> Uh, quippy <laughs> as Fremen soldiers, and uh, they have been now, you know. now everyone's gay. It's yes, fine. yeah, that, that, that's they, they get to talk about that, like, oh, okay, <laughs> wonderful. Um, yeah, you know, I, and again, I and so for that reason, I think it's garbage, but uh, I, I, I find myself thinking, I guess I got to read this book because uh, yeah. it, se- it seems like you know, uh, even if it has like that John Carter quality where like culture and society has moved past it it it, and so all the foundation that it helped lay and things that got built off of the archetypes brought up in that work itself it still feels like something that would be worth going back to and seeing all the things that did build because you know what other chronicles of riddick scenes did they steal from dune that's what (laughs) i need to find out Uh, it's just it's uh, one thing i'll say for the book is it's just got so much stuff in it that can't be translated into a movie as we saw, mm-hmm. you know, by watching this, that <laughs> all of that stuff hasn't been ripped off. Like all of the philosophy and politics and uh, 
exploration of um, different types of schools of training, that sort of thing, the minutia that goes into all these ideas in the book, you know, you you wouldn't have seen that portrayed in another movie. So there's still plenty of new stuff if you're reading it for the first time. Well, see, see, that's encouraging. It's what people should uh, go out and do. It's at least what I would recommend. But uh, in the meantime, we have now reached the plugs portion of this show. So uh, we, we will go in uh, the, the reverse order. Uh, Dennis, what is going on in your world? What have you got to plug? Well, I am the one of the co-hosts of Psychic Dolphin Garage, a weekly show. You can check it out wherever you find podcasts. I'm also one of the co-hosts and the editor of the uh, Dungeons & Dragons podcast, uh, Dolphins & Garages. You can also find that wherever <laughs> uh, you find podcasts. Uh, we just wrapped up a, a really, like, an actual, like, emotionally touching episode yesterday, and I am going to have a hard time editing it, but um you know uh check it out it's a lot of fun anything that uh we can tease out for a, a dune inspired uh duology of episodes to perhaps hit uh dolphins and garages uh I, desert you know, dolphins it, you know uh could be fun <laughs> um so that sounds like a lot of fun actually <laughs> a lot of work and so that's where i'm the pitch guy not the follow-through guy by any means <laughs> um, tony alex of course minion death cult uh everyone knows uh about that or everyone should uh but for the ignorant few who might not uh tell a little bit about that and what else y'all got going on uh yeah minion death cult is a weekly uh, bi-weekly if you pay extra for yeah. a podcast uh, about your Mima's genocidal Facebook feed. We cover a lot of right-wing posting, boomer posting, what, how, uh, how people in the suburbs are processing uh, politics in general. I just joined a group. Let me see if I can pull up this Facebook group name here. Uh, it is do, do, do. I do this sometimes. Um, <laughs> no, I can't find it. It said the name of the group is like, uh, I am a proud pro choice, pro life superhero. Uh, yeah. Ooh. I'm going to make, I think I'm going to make a meme of, uh, Alia becoming sentient in the womb. Uh, you know, oh I'm, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that's smart. Yeah. Of information of the Bene Gesserit mothers and you know, make a meme that says, and do you still think this isn't a person? Yeah, I think that's genius. I like that. being, be, being a corked up shoddy begins at uh, conception. <laughs> I love that's like, we could tell what movies you've been watching, Alexander, by what memes that you've made. <laughs> it's pretty sporadic, but you know when it happens. <laughs> when the inspiration strikes, uh, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, Tony? Uh, yeah, just so you know, follow Minion Death Cold everywhere. Minion Death Cold on everything. Um, I'm Word is Bond on Twitter. Alex is Flildy on Twitter. Um, we're both kind of funny, but the Minion Death Cold feed is incredible. Alex takes care of that, and it's great. It is. It is. It's a joy. Uh, and now we switch it over onto our side. Grift, what is happening in the shop? yeah we're still running the the uh dorner uh, screen printed shirts um and we've been we've been going around uh, new york city putting up flyers too and a lot of people have been taking pictures of them so if you if you see a respect troops flyer uh you happen to be in in one of the five boroughs um yeah you you, you know who's responsible for that <laughs> uh 
Um, and um, let's see what else we got. Uh, I got a tentative collab coming up with the uh, Casey Jones podcast. Uh, we just did a really good uh, baseball episode, uh, you know, because the, the the playoffs are happening. Felt like it was time to time to strike with that. So definitely go check that out on their feed. And um, yeah, I'll be I'll be running merch for them soon. Uh, it's what a, what a time to be alive. Uh, it's baseball. The Astros are just uh, three losses away from uh, not having to be the ones to lose to the Dodgers in the World Series. So yeah, you know, it's a it's a fun time. Um, I like that attitude. Uh, listen, the Coastal <laughs> Elites—they want Red Sox versus Dodgers. Okay, as much as my heart may be yearning for Astros versus Braves, because then it, I can say, like, fine, root for the Atlanta Braves, that non-problematic team. Uh, keep hating on the Astros <laughs> for cheating. Yeah, That's okay. Yeah. How's that moral high ground feel uh, in this day and time? I want um, I want Red Sox Braves because they used to be in Boston, so we got to like defeat our former crosstown <laughs> rival. <laughs> and it's not at all because uh, being terrified of the Dodgers in any way, shape, or form. No, no, no. no, no I mean, no. I, I do I do want to meet beat Mookie Betts in the series. That would be nice too. So either <laughs> either, either way, uh, yeah, fuck the Astros, go Sox. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah definitely, definitely, uh huh, for sure. <laughs> Does Craig Biggio still play for the Astros? He does. Uh huh. Yeah, for well, sure. That, I'm, I'm, you know, he's 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 the first guy to get elected to the Hall of Fame while he's still playing. <laughs> <laughs> he's certainly on their payroll in a lot of unfortunate for ways. Sure. Go so, ask the uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> As it relates to, though, for our podcast, follow us on Twitter and Letterboxd at GigoPodcast. That's G-I-G-O Podcast. Also, if you want, rate us five stars on iTunes and Spotify. We follow all those fun things. Also on Spotify, we sometimes ask like uh, questions or we conduct a poll that exists. And so if you want to see like what random bullshit thing, like how many dead dogs do you think David Lynch was responsible for while Dune was being filmed? Feel free and uh, submit Ridiculous. those answers to us. Uh, the answer is more, more than we can possibly know. Yeah. That's actually why Patrick Stewart was running with the pug in his shirt was he was trying to uh, free, free that poor puppy. The pug was the Starbucks cup of its time, actually. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that, that's going to do it for an episode. Uh, let's all go ahead and say goodbye. Cool. Peace. Peace. Thanks Later. so much for having us on. Yeah, thank you so much. Oh, you got it. Bye. Bye. Yep. Deuces. Deuces.